It's extra drama for book number 37, Rumors. I'm your host, Marissa Flaxbart, and with me again is Meredith Halsey. Hi, Meredith. Hi, Marissa. Uh, so we had a lot of fun talking about all of the various plot lines and themes and stuff from Rumors in our main episode. Did you have anything else that we didn't get to that you were jonesing to talk about? Yeah, I actually, um, Lila Fowler reminded me of Pride and Prejudice. So Ooh. in particular, so she's jealous of Susan, Right. So Susan is a mystery. She might be famous. She might be rich. She's graceful and intelligent and beautiful. Right. right. Lila is new money. Lila has to work for it. She, we're given to understand that, you know, she's just not as graceful or maybe not as beautiful. It's not effortless for Lila. So she kind of takes it out on Susan, starts a rumor, tries to get some social status and and swoop in and steal her boyfriend and get a ticket to the fancy Bridgewater ball. And this is just like Pride and Prejudice, where everyone's jockeying for position. Um, there's definitely, there's scenes where people want to get to the special ball that you're nobody if you're not showing up at these dances. Um, you're nobody if you're not dancing with the right person. And also, if you're maybe a little teetering in the social mix there, you're flattering people. You're you're looking up. You're you're trying to flatter and and follow the right people, hoping for their favor. And you're insulting and dismissive to people who are a little bit uh, lower on the social ladder, as it were. So like Mr. Darcy, he's making fun of Mrs. Bennett, more or less to her face. It's really embarrassing. Um, and and I'm, I was getting that sense from Lila Fowler. She's teetering on the edge. So she wants to like, flatter and follow the people at Bridgewater. And she wants to get in with Gordon Stoddard to cement her own social status while she's pushing down Susan. Uh, and so I just thought that was a really like nothing changes. Jane from Jane Austen to Sweet Valley yeah. High, we're dealing with the same issues. Well, that is so interesting. You know, Pride and Prejudice and Jane Austen specifically are of this time, and I, or I guess Jane Austen I think was writing about a, a past, like the recent past, her mm -hmm. compared to the time in which the era in which she was writing, but. Yeah. I definitely thought about that when the idea of the Bridgewater Ball was brought up in book 36, where apparently like debutantes in Bridgewater come out at the Bridgewater Ball. That does not, oh. which we, that doesn't come up at all in book 37, no. but in book 36, that's what they say. Um, and that's something that I probably still happens in some like societies, maybe in the South. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. If I can find any evidence of this, I'll put a link in the show notes. But I know in the 60s, like my mom was a debutante. So that was before wow. the 80s. So that's something that like continues. But I so I love Jane Austen. And a few years ago, I I had never really read romance novels other than unless you count Sweet Valley High. Um, but I got into <laughs> specifically reading like Regency romance novels. 
like the historical romance novels, I can get behind. I find them interesting. It's gotten to a point now where I'm starting to get confused because the plots are like kind of all the same. Like there's only yeah. like, did I read this one already or not? You know, but this is a really important aspect of of like painting that society is there's always who's in and who's out, who's yeah. good enough and who's not quite good enough, who has a bad reputation, who has a good reputation. The books I read are almost universally very critical of that mindset. Um, I think a book, a modern book kind of has to be because mm-hmm. um, otherwise it's hard to get behind <laughs> reading it. Well, and aren't all the heroines usually like willful and empowered and that's what makes them unique yeah. In their society right. and worth. And yeah. usually they're kind of like outcasts because <laughs> they have a, their own mind or because they want, don't, they're not interested in getting married. Or right. I've read books where people are pretending, women are pretending to be widows because if they pretend that they're widows, people won't judge the fact that they've chosen to live their lives alone and run a business. Which is right. a little bit like Mrs. Reister, actually. She's not. That's what she should have done. Oh my God! Why didn't she pretend to be a widow? She really should have. Oh my God! Come on, that, that lady. That gives her a great backstory. Gives her daughter a great mysterious past of like this great love, and oh no, it ended too soon, and it was such a heartbreak. That would have been a totally great story for her to grow up with. Yeah. I mean, clearly, I don't think Mrs. Reister should have had to lie or felt the need to lie about who she was, period. But if she's going to make up a lie, like... At least make it good. Yeah, that's much more believable, too, <laughs> than... Like, because we didn't even talk about the fact that the one of the really scarring things for poor Susan would be that her mother doesn't love her enough to be a part of her life. Yeah. You know? It's like they make it out to be this romantic thing that she just couldn't make it known, but that's a real rejection of her daughter. And that's the kind of thing that really fucks with you, you know? But Susan somehow... She needs to be in therapy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the The whole, like, capitalism aspect of this book was interesting, especially it being situated in the 1980s. Um, mm-hmm. The idea of it being a little bit of an indictment of capitalism at certain points. Um, although it's hard to say that the kids, when they do their health class, mock poor people's cotillion. It's hard to tell how much they're laughing at themselves, how much they're laughing at the idea of a cotillion, and how much maybe they're laughing at poor people. <laughs> yeah, it's not really made clear Um one thing that is clear is that the twins themselves are aware that they have a comfortable life. Yeah, that's nice. Um, but they, but it's not made clear if they, how aware they are of extreme poverty. Um, you know, is Sweet Valley next door to a very poor community? I don't know. Like, have they been exposed to poverty and, and hardship? That's not something that I know. But what we're keenly aware of through book 37, is that they definitely know everything about people who have more money. Yeah. Right? So from their own perspective, they they seem to be low on the social and, and economic level, whereas from my perspective, they're doing just fine. Yes. That's such a good point. This has been so much fun talking about this with you, Meredith. 
Likewise. I appreciate Thank you for your having me on. Literary criticism aspect that you brought to this episode. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Gladiators, thank you so much for listening. Um, as always, um, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, I say as always, but I actually don't usually say that. <laughs> so, as sometimes, but I do always want you to do that. And I am so grateful to you for subscribing. Send me an email, sweetvalleydiaries at me.com. And uh, we'll see you next week to talk about Leaving Home, book number 38. Thanks, Meredith. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm going to stop recording now. Cool.